0: praise the lord we get to live here all the time some folks come up here for a day so it'll be okay you're gonna make it this morning if you turn your Bibles again to first Timothy chapter 4 we'll pick up in verse 8 I'll remind you that that psalm that we just read <laughs> that's why you need Jesus without him you're stuck with what you got in and of yourself which is not a good thing it's your flesh it's grief, it's sorrow, it's rottenness to your bones. It's all those things that Scripture says as a result of not having a relationship with the God who loves you. And So it's supposed to be a contrast. And as David penned that psalm, marvelous that it kind of speaks to the condition of the human heart without the Lord, because you should look at it and go, I don't want that. That's what I get in myself. This morning, as we turn our attention again to the Scriptures, this is really a continuation of last week's message. And those foundational truths for teachers that we saw last time, and again, I want to again remind you, it doesn't matter who you are in the body of Christ. Once you come to Christ, you are a teacher of the truths of God. Now, some of us, like myself, have that, vocation, if you would say so, professionally. In other words, this is what I do, uh, in essence, as, as my vocation. But it is not simply a vocation. It's a calling that's been placed upon your life, upon my life. It is something that we do because what we teach is the truth. And truth is not negotiable. I very frequently get into discussions with people about what the truth is. We now know what the truth is not, thanks to Dr. Harold Camping, as we now have the enemy blaspheming the people of God because of his idiocy, because of his heresy, and he is exactly who was discussed last week in verse 1. Read it with me again. And now the Spirit expressly says, in the latter times, that means the last of the last days, by the way, In the latter times is not the last days, it's the latter times. It's the last of the last days. Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, and then he goes on to give the rest of it. You you want a practical example? Dr. Harold Camping is a deceiver. He is a liar. He is a hypocrite. He's done this multiple times and I call him out on it. He has a 500 plus million dollar radio ministry. He has people selling their homes, their possessions, and standing on street corners handing out idiotic flyers that say, the world's coming to an end on Saturday. All one needs to do is read their Bible. The gospel record of Jesus' words himself, no man knows the day or the hour that the Son of Man comes. Neither the angels in heaven, but God himself alone knows the day. So the very fact that he would say those things is an indicator he's a heretic. That is how we know the truth. We know because God's Word plainly speaks to these issues. We don't have to guess at it. The moment someone tells you that Jesus is coming back tomorrow, you can assign them to those who are not the bearers of the truth, but rather the bearers of false lies, as Paul called them, old wives' tales. Heresy. Now that we have that clear, there's a proper place for each and everything in our lives that we find in Scripture. And Paul now goes on how we can begin to apply these principles and these truths. You see, it's my job as an under-shepherd to Jesus Christ to call out the false teachers. I have to do that. That's what I've been called to do. I'm supposed to be speaking the truth. And in this case, I want you to recognize something. That when Jesus addressed false teachers, that's the only time we find him getting upset. When he when he addressed people that were lacking the knowledge of who he was, he was gentle and kind. But when people came professing to be the answer, he let them have it with both barrels. This morning, what do we do with that truth? The proper place for all of it in our lives, and I pray. Now that we'll be blessed, and this is really, as I said, a continuation of last week's message. Now we begin to assemble these things in the right order. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your truth. Lord, we ask for those that have been drawn away by the falsehood and by the lies of this man. God, we pray that you deal with him sternly and strongly. Of course, by your grace and your mercy, for we ourselves need it. But, Lord, we truly believe that you hate those who falsely represent you. Moses did not enter the promised land because he simply struck the rock instead of speaking to it. And so, Father God, we ask uh, that you would bind these wounds of those who are broken, who sit this morning in despair, having followed a false prophet. And, Lord, we ask that we would not ever entertain anything but your truth in our hearts and minds. Lord, that all things be measured by your word. Let your spirit bear witness. And, Father, we ask that now as we study again and turn our attention to it, that you would cause these truths to become a part of who we are. Dear Lord, they wouldn't just simply reside in our minds, but in our hearts, and therefore go into our actions and our very lives, the substance of who we are. We bless you. We thank you. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Verse 8. Here in 1 Timothy 4, probably some of you really like this verse. For bodily exercise profits a little. will give you more on this in a moment. Paul's starting to make a balance here. And I think it's important. We've seen this so much here in, in this particular letter, this first letter to Timothy, that we need balance in our lives. There is a proper place for everything. There's a proper place for exercise. There's a proper place for study. There is a proper place for evangelism. There is a proper place for fellowship. There's a proper place for godliness in all things that we do. What he's really going to get to here is that as these principles of truth make their way into our hearts and our minds... There is a proper place for them to reside and then for them to go out into the world. We need to be doers, as James said there in chapter 1 and verse 22. Be ye therefore doers of the word, not just hearers only, thereby deceiving yourselves. And he goes on to say, For what man looks in a mirror and goes straight away and forgets what manner of man he is? You you see... We need balance in these things and we need to put these things in their proper place so that we can be useful in the kingdom. People who are out of balance in eschatology stand on street corners and say the world's coming to an end. And people who are out of bounds on the area of love say, well, it doesn't matter if you sin. We need balance. We need a proper placement of these things in our lives. And now let's take the rest of these verses together. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable to all things. Having the promise of life that is now and is, and is of that which is to come. For this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. And for to this end we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially those who believe, and that these things command and teach. For let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Notice the commands that are being given here that are balanced in virtually every area of life. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that's in you, which was given to you by prophecy, the laying on of hands of the eldership. For meditate on these things. you see the actions here? They're part of who you are. They're part of who I am. They're not just theories. These are practice and principle. Give yourselves entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all that we're moving forward in our relationships with the Lord, not backwards in our relationships with the Lord. And take heed to yourself and to the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this, circle that, because that really is the key to this whole passage. In doing this, in doing what? In being an example, giving attention, in your conduct, in your love, in faith, in walking in the Spirit, in purity, in meditating on the things of God, and giving yourself entirely to that end, to having sound doctrine, and continuing in them. For doing this, you save both yourself and those who hear. You see, your life becomes the best example when you have these things all in their proper place. To be out of balance in anything is to be less than the best that God would have you be while you're on this earth. There are people who have practical holiness. We'd call it purity, but they have no love. We have people who have very squared away doctrine, but they never share it with anyone. We have people who are an example in some things, but their life is so out of balance in others that their example is no good. We have people meditating on things that are true and then filling their head with things that are false. You see, balance, the proper placement of the things of God in our lives, produces the very best that you can be in your life. There is a place for everything. And so Paul begins this passage by saying bodily exercise profits little. And he's not against exercise, by the way. And I would remind you that you're of better use to God when you're not on a ventilator or carrying an O2 bottle with you. That's a pretty simple process, isn't it? And so we should be taking care of ourselves. There is zero question that the intent here is we should do what we can to take care of these temples of the Lord. But to spend 20 hours in the gym and two minutes in prayer is out of balance. It's not the proper placing of those things. It's to say, well, you know, I've got ripped abs, but my brain is mush. My walk with the Lord stinks, but boy do I look good. We need to have balance. There's a proper place for vacations. There's a proper place for gym membership. There's a proper place for fishing. There's a proper place for all of these things. We must keep them in balance with all of the rest of the components. For you to physically... Be wonderful, and mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and in knowledge of the Word, uh, be undone, is to be rather useless to the kingdom, isn't it? For you to spend all your time sitting around taking in the Word of God, but never sharing it with anyone. Guess what that is? Also out of balance. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, did he not? And because we are Christians, little Christ, our goal, now you, their disciples, go therefore into the world and make disciples of all men. See, we have a purpose for being here. It's one of the most beautiful things about the body of Christ. If your life doesn't have a whole lot of purpose in all the other things that you do, you do have purpose in Christ Jesus as Lord. This should be an example. It's the whole context of these things. For in doing this, You see, the key issue here is what do you do with what you have and who you are for the kingdom. So for those of you that are more athletically inclined, run the race for Jesus. Use that time in the gym to minister to the people that are there as well as to your own physical body. Those things have a place. But don't neglect the rest for the sake of the one. Keep it in balance. Paul wasn't urging Timothy towards asceticism or becoming a monk. He wasn't urging Timothy to go crawl underneath a rock or in a cave someplace and hide himself from the world. I regret that some of the body of Christ does that. They think that the only usefulness they have is personal. That denies the very plain teaching of Scripture. It says here, use your gift. For me, that happens to be the gift of teaching, principally. It also is the gift of prayer. Each of you have been given gifts by God. Gift of hospitality and helps. Gift of encouragement. You see, we all have gifts. What are we doing with them? How have we placed ourselves in the body of Christ is to be useful to God. There is a place, so to speak, to to shape up. to, To keep ourselves so that we can continue to spiritually and physically be able to be used. You know, very often when I talk to people about this particular topic of exercise, You have two very extreme views. One is, does it really matter? Because we're all getting new bodies, amen? I'm thankful for that. But God's given me this one to walk in right now. And without it, I can't teach. Without it, I can't go and share the gospel. Without it, I am not able to move around. I think that God has a huge problem with us being holy couch potatoes. I really do. I don't think it's for the body of Christ to sit around and do little or nothing with our physical temples. Like we should be exercising. But if your exercise keeps you from being used of the Lord, then it's out of balance. It doesn't have that proper place. We also need to be reading God's Word, applying God's Word, being in public worship services such as we are this morning, praying, giving of our time and talents and treasures and things unto the Lord so that God can use us, not just being fit. He goes on to say, For this saying is sure and worthy of all acceptance. I believe he's saying this, in its entirety to this passage, both previously and what follows. He's saying this is really the heart of it. It's where the rubber meets the road. It's in the doing of these things that they become real. You see, as we study God's Word and we take these things in and they go into our minds and into our hearts, they're supposed to produce some action in us. That's why so very many Christians are so unbelievably unuseful. I've met people, they are theologic brainiacs. They can explain every doctrine of the faith. They can tell you exactly what maturation and sanctification and justification and what is eschatology and soteriology. They go through all these things and they know the Doctrinal problems with every major cult. But they're so intellectually obnoxious that no one wants to be around them. They're completely useless to the kingdom. And they have a tendency to gather in their own little groups and try and see who's got the most head knowledge. That's not very useful either. It's all about balance. It's that proper place. I think it's a time and a place that we should be checking our bearings. It's a time and a place that we should check our bearings. We should be able to tell if we're off course or not. If something in your life has taken precedence over all the rest of the component parts, then you're out of balance. You're off course. You see, you can look at it this way. Your Bible is very much like a compass, it helps you stay on track. It's like a GPS. It gives you your present location and it can tell you how to get to other places. The good news is, is is, we're on a single journey that points to heaven, but in that single journey pointing to heaven, there are all kinds of different journeys that are the subset of that one great journey that God wants to use us for. He has divine appointments for you. And so if you're clinging to this one truth and ignoring the rest, then He's going to be very limited in the use that He will have in your life. I've met some people that are wonderfully loving and tender and kind, but they haven't spent any time in the Word. So when that time comes to share the Gospel, they don't even know what to say. I've met people who in their life have all kinds of very specific giftings. But because they're not very well-rounded, those giftings almost become a problem for them. And so, check where you are. How many truths about God's Word do you know? And this is the beauty of this passage. It's really encouraging you to become a well-rounded Christian. It's telling you to kind of get out of your box a little bit. It's reminding us to broaden our horizons, if you will. It's asking you to check and see where you are and see if, notice what it says there near the end, are you making progress? Are you still stuck where you used to be? Are you, worse yet, going backwards? Are you not going ahead in the things of the Lord? But are you stagnant or or going the wrong direction? Notice what verse 10 says, And for to this end we toil and struggle. You know what? The, the walk that we walk in Jesus is sometimes hard. Amen? Some of you senior saints say amen. It is. At times we're toiling, we're struggling, we're, we're clawing and scratching at the things of the earth, trying to make just a little bit of progress. The enemy comes against you like a flood. Things happen in your life and you're being tested. I, I, I don't know how many people I've talked to in the last few weeks. It just seems like the gates of hell opened up and there's just junk going on. And you're, you're clawing to even stay up with the things that God's already doing in your life. There's a place for that. There's a place and a time and a season. The book of Ecclesiastes tells us for everything. Joy and peace and death and dying and life and goodness and God, all of it. There's a proper place for each one of those things. And sometimes you find yourself in toil and you find yourself in struggle. But because we have our hope, notice what it is, because we have our hope set on the living God who is a Savior of all people, especially those who believe, We're able to persevere. We have our eyes focused on eternity. I'm not just looking at the things of the earth. I'm not just contemplating the things before my day. I'm looking at things eternal. My perspective's different. If I were simply sitting around focused on my family's finances and and, and much of you the same way, and all you're thinking about is that, you're going to be out of balance. You're you're going to miss the blessing, so to speak, of struggling a little bit. I don't know a single saint that hasn't gone through those ebbs and flows, those high points and low points in almost every area of their life. I love the way Job put it. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. That's balance. Balance. Paul put it this way, whether I'm abased or whether I abound, I have learned in all things to be thankful. You see, that's balance. That's a proper place. That's understanding that God uses each thing in our life if we have our eyes on eternity. Temporal things, we get all messed up. We start to make wiggy decisions. We, We try and figure it out in our own fleshly minds, in our carnal nature. But in essence, our hope grows when we have our eyes focused on eternity. You know, as I was sitting here listening to some some of the radio programs this week, it was just like, you know, I confess to you, part of me wanted to go and find Dr. Camping and and grab him by the shoulders and go, why don't you go someplace and retire? Like in the middle of the desert someplace. You know, you, you even wonder, God, why don't you retire him? I wanted to do that. But because my hope is in heaven, I realize God's bigger than Dr. Camping. And though he's a heretic, and I'll plainly state that, and though what he did was wrong, and I'll plainly state that, I still believe my God is bigger than the damage that was done to the kingdom by a dorky doctor. I believe that God can recover his personality from this fiasco. He's had many before and he'll probably have some after. Unless Dr. Camping missed by a day or so and we go home to Jesus today. Now, I did not prophesy that, by the way. (laughs) And so he points towards this place that we need to stand. There's only one Lord, there's only one faith, that Ephesians 4 passage. There's only one hope, one baptism. There's only one Lord who's Lord of all. Dr. Camping didn't have any special knowledge. We all have the same understanding from God's Word. It's there for us to read plainly. You see, when Jesus said there in John fourteen one and 2, remember what he said? The whole debate was, you know, well, what's going to happen? He said, if I go, I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, you might be also. You see, that eternal perspective is, I really don't care when I get there. I just care that I get there. If it's after 90 years of life on this earth, then praise God. If it's today because of the rapture of the church, praise God. If it's next week because I have a heart attack, praise God. You see, when I have an eternal perspective, then I can live life to the fullest every day, whether it's few or many days. And I don't get concerned. I don't sit around out of balance, going, oh, I don't know, what am I going to do? You know how sorry I feel for all these people that sold all their possessions? I read a couple of accounts of people who sold everything. They literally portioned out their cash to make it to yesterday. What are they thinking today? They could have avoided the whole thing by reading Matthew's Gospel. They would have known for certain that no man knows. And those were the words of Jesus Himself. I look at what's going on in in the world today. I especially look at how our President has turned his back on Israel. And boy, I'll tell you, I know what Scripture says in the last days is going to happen. Do I think we're closer than we've ever been? You better believe I do. But I can tell you how big the grace of God is. that wouldn't surprise me a bit if He waited a while, because there are billions of people that would perish and go to hell if He came back today. Now, do I think that we're going to see things begin to unfold? I do. Because that's God's land. And He gave it to the nation Israel. It belongs to God. And He gave possession of it to them. And every single time that that has not been the case, the world has suffered the consequences of it. I stand on the promises of God. God said, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. I fear for our country. I intend to talk to our congressman on Thursday. I have an appointment with... Jerry Lewis, on Thursday, when I'm in D.C., and I intend to directly ask him, where do you stand with Israel? Because I think to stand against them is to stand against God. You see, it's balance. But I'm not going to go sell all my possessions and encourage you to do the same thing, because I think we might be raptured sometime soon. That would not be in a proper place. You go get busy about the things of God and do what God tells you to do until He comes and gets us. And don't worry about when He's going to come. Just worry about what you're doing when He comes. Amen? Make sure your lamp's full. Make sure that when the bridegroom comes, you can say, Look, Lord, here I am. I'm cleaned up. I'm ready to go. I have done all the standing. I'm ready to go home and receive that reward. But keep it in balance. You see, to some degree, we each have our place in the race. There's a proper place for the race of life that is our calling upon our our existence while we're here on this earth. We need to pace ourselves a little bit. And people who are out of balance are not pacing themselves. People who have part of their doctrine okay and part of their doctrine messed up, are not going to finish well. I can tell you from a long time as a distance runner, you better pace yourself. Because if you blow the whole of your energy in the first mile of the race, you'll never see the end of a 10K or a marathon. You'll never get there. You'll be out of gas. I want to finish well. I don't want to start well and die in the middle. I want to finish the race that's been set before me. The prayer of Paul. Let us run the race with endurance. You see, there's a proper place for that. We need to train. We need to do the things that we should do. But we need to fix our eyes, Hebrews 12 says, on Jesus, who's the author, the finisher of our faith. We need to keep our eyes on the finish line. That's going to keep us running correctly. It's going to keep us on course. Yeah, you may go through the drudgery of training. I remember those training days. You know, nobody in their right mind wakes up at 5 o'clock in the morning. Boy, I just can't wait to go run 15 miles. But you did it because of what lied ahead. Not because of the pain of the day. Not because of the aching muscles. Not because of the burning lungs. Not because of the diet. You did it because of the race and you did it to win. Nobody steps out in a race. Boy, I'm a loser. I'm just so good at losing, I want to enter everything to lose. Man, I'm going to go out and I'm going to, you know, my training diet is actually Twinkies. Ding dongs and Pop Tarts. And bacon. You know, if you wrap a bacon in Pop Tart and bacon, it's actually, it's like, it's manna, actually. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. No, you would never do something like that. If you're gonna train, you're gonna train everything. You're training your mind, you're training your body, you're, you're, you're training everything about you. Emotionally, you have to be emotionally prepared to run the race, don't you? And whether that's a foot race or cycling, it doesn't matter what type of physical endeavor you're talking about. Never forget the first time I stood at the end of a pole vault pit and said, what in the world am I doing? I've got this long thing and I'm going to run down. No, you could be killed. You have to mentally engage yourself in the endeavor. You can't be thinking, I can't make it, I can't make it, I can't make it. You have to be thinking, I can make it, and I will make it, and I'm going to do everything I can to make it. And I want to win. I don't want to lose, and I don't want to just place. And he goes on now to give us some specific examples as we, Begin to wind this passage up. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Do you realize there's a place for the young, for the old, for the middle, for all of us in the race? And I would remind you that Timothy, at the time of the writing of this particular letter, was probably in his early 30s. So he wasn't actually a young, young guy. He was just way younger than Paul. But there's a place for everyone. There's a place for... Those of us who are a little more mature in the Lord, there's also a place for youthful zeal. There's a place for that craziness, that utter abandon for the things of the Lord. One of the things that makes it so fun for me to interact with the Patmos Discipleship School is they're all basically 19 to 25. I get to live vicariously through the fact that they don't ache every time they walk somewhere. And they're they're like running out Hey, do you know about Jesus? I couldn't catch that person. They can. I was sitting, we were on a, on the beach when I was in the Bahamas a a couple of months ago. And they literally chased this guy down. They wanted to tell him about Jesus. And I'm thinking there's probably Christians at the other end of the beach. My calves begin to burn after the first hundred yards. They're like two miles later. They're still running. There's a place for everything, there's a place for us in the kingdom. And he goes on now to give us these amazing examples. But set an example, the NIV says. Be an example. Be one that someone could point to and say, if you want to see somebody whose speech is right in the Lord, look at Jeff. You want to see someone whose life is lived for the Lord, look at Jeff. You want to see someone whose love is the love of the Lord, look at Jeff. And I'm personalizing this for you because this is what you should do with this passage. Put your own name preceding each one of these things In faith and in purity, is your faith an example to other people? Is the purity of your life an example to other people? In other words, can people follow you in following Jesus? You see, there's a proper place for you to be an example. If you're a parent, a proper place for each of these things, amen? How do you think your children learn to love in Christ? Have faith in Christ. Be pure in Christ. Speak Christ-like words. They're watching you. There's a proper place for us to be setting examples. You see, in each of these things, we're told so frequently in Scripture, it's like it's a sub-theme of the entire Bible to be an example. That's why Jesus said there in Matthew 11, Take my yoke upon you. You see, the yoke put two oxen together, amen? Interesting fact that people often miss. The assumption is, take my yoke, which means you get the whole thing. It doesn't mean that at all. Matter of fact, in the Greek language, it says, you put your neck in the other side of my yoke. You walk with me so closely that we are yoked together as we go through these things. Let me be an example to you, in other words. Paul would write in Philippians chapter 3, there in verse 17, Paul was saying, join with others in following my example. You see, the, the point is, is there's a place for you to be an example to others. And the awesome thing about this is, it doesn't matter where you are in the sense of maturity. New believers can actually be an example to other new believers or to people who don't know the Lord yet. Sometimes that crazy zeal, I remember the day I got saved as if it happened today. I was so excited that I now was going to heaven, I think I probably told 500 people in the first two days I was saved about Jesus. Now, I couldn't explain all the great doctrines of the faith to them, but I could tell them I met Jesus, and they needed Jesus too. And as I've matured, I've been able to tell them some of those other questions that they, they would ask. You know, what about the rapture? I can explain the rapture to them. But at that time, I couldn't explain anything to them. But I had youthful zeal. And I could be an example. There is a place for each stage that we're at in life. Just live so that others can see Christ in you, which is your hope and their hope. Amen? It's Christ in you that is the hope of glory. It's you being as much Jesus as you can possibly be in everything. Whether it's in the gym or in church, it doesn't matter. Make sure that your life is an example to other people. Notice these things that are mentioned. Speech. You see, your words create impressions about who you are to everyone who hears. Are your words the words of Christ? Are they kind and loving? Are they gentle? Are they generous? Your words create an impression of who you are. Do you know how many people that I look at? Oh, man. There's a time in my life I I have to repent. It's like, Lord, my words spoke nothing of you. My word spoke of everything of the world and nothing of you. And I want you to notice that these handful of things pretty much are the whole human condition, aren't they? It's the totality of who you are every day. Your speech. You see, Timothy was to speak in such a way that people would be able to follow that example. In life, the word here is actually not life, it's lifestyle. In your lifestyle, your manner of living is a better way to look at it. Are your specific behaviors examples of Christ in you? Is the way you live your life a model for others to follow? I'll tell you what, when I hear that, it's like, Well, pretty good Oh, that. We can probably all think of a few things to where our lifestyle could stand some adjustments, amen? Like It could be a little more gentle, a little kinder, maybe a little less terse. How about a little less negative? You know, so that the life that we live before people tells them how much Jesus loves them. Because you see a lot of people look at Christians and go, man, the way they live their life, I don't know that I want to live that way. Your lifestyle. It's interesting, too, that love is the middle. And and that's such a beautiful picture. Love must be the center of everything. Your speech must be loving. Your life must be loving. Do you see that? Love's in the middle for a reason. Because, as Paul said, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I have become as a sounding brass. I'm a a noisy gong, a symbol. I'm something no one wants to listen to unless I have some love. He says, let your life be an example, in essence, of loving speech and loving life and in love in general. When people meet you, do they know that you love the Lord because of the love that you show? Or do they have to wonder about that? Are they thinking maybe in their hearts and their minds? Well, I think so. But boy, that wasn't very loving. You see, we can say the right words, we can live the right way. That can be done through legalism, can't it? You can say the right words, you can live the right way, and still be unloving. Oh, you can be completely without sin, and be completely unloving. You can be so unloving that other people think that it's all about what you do, and not who you are. You can dot the I's and cross the T's, and not be able to sign the document, In Love, Jesus. In faith, the fourth thing. Sooner or later, if you have not been made an example in the Lord of faith, you will be. Your faith's going to get tested. Something's going to come in your life, and you are not going to have an answer. You're not going to know how to get out of it, you're not going to have a plan that's going to take care of the situation. You're going to have to live your life by faith. Are you an example of faith? Is it loving faith? Or is it, well, I know God's going to get me out of this somehow, but I'm miserable. You see, faith, love, and hope all go together. The final, the fifth thing here is the purity. You can look at it a better way to see that as chastity or purity, the, the, the virtue of life. Now you understand why love's in the middle. Because you can be chaste and virtuous and still be unloving. Amen? You can have all of the component parts but not have them in the right place because love puts them in the right place. You see, love is the thing that allows you to properly place all of these things in this passage. I want to be lovingly pure. I want to be lovingly virtuous. I, I want to have loving faith. Loving speech. Loving lifestyle. Matter of fact, I want to just be loving. So that people look at that and they go, wow, that's different. That's strange. You know, he had a horrible day. Why is he being nice to me? That breaks people out, by the way. You're going through tough things in life and you still have time for them? Who do you think gets the glory? It's God. Christ in you. And he begins to close this passage. He says, teach these things. Preach these things. Give training to other people. Exhort them in it. Make sure that other people are following that example that you follow of Christ. But don't just make it a Sunday thing. Don't just make it a Wednesday thing. Don't make it just a family devotion thing. Make it a life thing. Take Jesus into every area of your life and everything you do in life. I've shared with you before, you know, I really don't like flying all that much. I have stupid long legs. They belong on somebody much taller than me. And so I have to like turn them sideways and cram them underneath the seat. And God always gives me somebody sitting next to me that's a motor mouth. They have to talk the whole time that we're flying. And and in order for me to, to endure those long flights, I just like, I want to not talk. Cause it's like, oh, I'm going to turn over. And I just, I got to lean this way. And, and they're going, um, what are you doing? Just mind your own business. Then you pull out your Bible. or They're watching me doing a Bible study on my computer. Oh, what? Well, I'm a pastor. You see, I want them to know that while I'm folding my legs under the seat in front of me. It's true for everything in life, folks. When you're standing at that checkout line, when you're in that restaurant and your food comes, we joke about it in my family. We can take a hundred of you to, to dinner. I'm not saying we will, but we could. A hundred of us go to dinner, and we'll sit down, and we'll all order at exactly the same time. My food is coming cold. Just you can just keep your thermometer out. Stick it in it. it it's just it's something God's doing to test me, I guess. I don't know. And I used to like oh, I was oh I was horrible. Take this back, you know. Where'd you work out last? McDonald's. So Stotts, come. You know, and you you just sit there and it doesn't do you a whole lot of good to pray over your meal and then blast the waitress, does it? Kind of gives them the wrong impression of the Jesus you just thanked. Are you using those things? There's a, there's a place for you to respond to these things. There's a place for you to use your ability in these things. There's a place for perfection, but there's also a place for progress. Notice what it says. Pay close attention to yourself. You know, we should do that a lot more. Pay close attention to yourself. If you do that, guess what? You're going to have plenty to do. You can look at your own progress. You can look at your own purity, your own love. You won't spend a whole lot of time talking about other people or worrying about what they do when you look at yourself well. I I look at me and I'm just like, Lord, thank you that I have not been turned into a charcoal briquette. Thank you, Lord, that, that while you're working in my life, you've been patient and kind and gentle and generous. Thank you, Lord, that... When I blow it, you're not there to point out my fault. You know, the screen doesn't come down. He's a heret-, You know, the heretic sign goes up. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. You see, look at those things. You place yourself in the proper place, is a really good way to understand it. You're responsible for you. What you do with it. I can neither make you do these things, nor will my complaining about what you do not do help you. You you see, you need to take care of you. Paul put it this way. He says, work out your own salvation in fear and in trembling, as he wrote to the church at Philippi. You see, there's a proper place. For each of us to take each of these things and work on them ourselves. And the glorious thing is that if we'll do that, we're a benefit to the kingdom. As I grow, prayerfully the people around me follow that example and they grow. As you grow, people following you grow with you. As James Ralston said, follow no man further than he follows Christ. You see, as we allow these things to take their proper place, then we become more useful in the kingdom. The more pure I am, the better the kingdom is for it. The more my speech matches up to that of Christ, the more kingdom things can be spoken through me. You see, it's very simple. There is a place for everything. And I would just ask you, it's relatively easy Check your carnality quotient. Are you moving forward? Or are you moving backwards? If you're sitting still, you're in danger of going backwards. You should always be moving forward. May not be very fast, but forward. Running the race. You can't sit the race. There's no being still in a race. You will never see in the Olympics somebody with a lawn chair in the starting blocks. And they run three or four steps out, pull out the chair and sit down. Well, I'm running. No, you're not running. You're sitting. And eventually when the guys come all the way around the track, you're also going to get mowed over. We want to take that proper place and let God use us. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time this morning and Lord, for each of us. As we ponder these verses, Lord, may we be an example uh, as believers in word, in conduct, in, in love, in spirit, faith, purity. Lord, would our lives be so much an example of Jesus that people would look and they would understand the difference between us and the world. Lord, we pray that as Paul wrote to Timothy that we would give ourselves entirely to these things. Lord, and in doing so, we won't be out of balance. There'll be a proper placement of each of these things in our lives. We'll actually be more useful. We'll be of better use in your kingdom, Lord, and that is truly what we want to be. We pray that you'd help us in the areas of weakness, that you'd strengthen our strengths to even greater heights, Lord, we love you for the example that we have in Jesus. Lord, He truly you are the author, the finisher. Lord, you penned the book and you're the one that's going to get us home. And it's in you we hope and trust. And so, God, we ask you this morning to make us an example of these things. Place each piece of the puzzle of our lives in its proper alignment so that people might see Jesus. It's in his name we pray these things amen just stand let's praise our king of kings and our lord of lords amen great is your-